Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will use this city as a tool of witness in the lives of those who are struggling to live godly for you. I pray that it will bring deliverance and set the captive free. Lord, as it goes beyond the prison walls, the highway and byways, that it will compel those to come unto you. Lord, those that are struggling, that they'll begin to live victoriously. And Lord, when that race is over and it is all finished, Lord, they can come unto you and you will say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of 1 Kings 18, the 19th verse through the 21st verse, and also the 24th verse, and then we're going to go to Luke, the 24th chapter, and verse 49. In 1 Kings 18, 19 through 21 and 24, the Bible reads, Now therefore send... And gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450 and the prophets of the grove, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and he said, how long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered, not a word. Verse 24, and ye call on the name of your gods, little G-O-D-S's. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be the God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Luke 24 and 49. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Eternal God, once again, we are grateful and we thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given for this is indeed the day that you have made. And Lord, let us truly be thankful, rejoicing, and glad in it. And Lord, we realize, God, that it's only because of you that we live, move, and have our very being. So we stand before you, Lord, and ask you, please, Lord, help us, Lord, to receive your word on today. Whatever it takes, God, we don't want to leave here without your word having precedence in our life. And Lord, when lives are turned, hearts are changed, people repent of their sins and are filled with the Holy Ghost and they're baptized in your name, we'll remember to give you the glory and the honor and the praise. And Lord, please anoint me this day, your servant, to minister this word. And when everything is said and done, we'll remember to give you the glory, the honor, and all of the praise. And let everyone say in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you're seated, I just want to ask you to look at verse 24 uh, in the book of 1 Kings, the 18th chapter. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, 
let him be the God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. I wanted to leave in your hearing for the remainder time that I have from the thought. First, repair the altar, then God will send the fire. In Luke 24 and 49, we find the Lord commanding his disciples to tarry or to, to wait in the city of Jerusalem until they were be endued or clothed with power from on high. And then in Acts 1 and 4, he says it again. He commanded them. I want you to note that he didn't suggest that he didn't request, but he commanded. No, my brothers and sisters, they were commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father. There were areas and aspects of their lives that needed to be changed. Somebody shout, we need a change. They needed to be changed, and that could only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Ghost moving in their lives. In other words, everything was shut down until the day of Pentecost. That's when God will pour out his spirit upon them in the upper room. And when they were all gathered together in one place with one accord, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty went and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So it was 120 men and women in that upper room that received the promise of the Holy Ghost. But what happened to all of those who heard about the experience but just felt that they didn't really need anything like that? They didn't need a change in their lives. And it's sad to say, but there's many believers like that in the churches today who say, I'm not trying to hear that. <laughs> they say, I'm all right, just like I am. I don't need change. And I'm not even trying to hear God on that subject. Truth be told, we all need the fire of God on the altar of our hearts. Somebody say amen. amen. Listen, when you go back into this account, and just let me go back for a moment, because what had happened is that the man of God, Elijah, had spoken a word. Somebody said there's power in the word. There's power in the spoken word. And the Bible said that he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it didn't rain on the earth for about three and a half years. So Ahab began to send his men out and he wanted them to find Elijah. But on this particular Expedition. He said, listen, I want y'all to go to one of the brooks and, and see if there'd be some water so the livestock don't die, so that the horses don't die. Wasn't concerned about the people. He was just concerned about the beast that they were traveling on. And he sent Obadiah along with himself. And he said, we're going to split up and we're going to search for this water source. When it was all said and done, what happened was that Obadiah came up on Elijah. And as soon as he saw him, he recognized him and he bowed down and said, aren't you Elijah? And he said, yes, sir. He said, now what I want you to do, I want you to go tell Ahab that you found me. And you know the account. He said, oh, why? If I do that, you put my life in jeopardy. I'm just paraphrasing. He said, what have I done? What, what sin have I committed that you want me to go and tell this man that I found you? He said, because as soon as I go, 
I want you to know he's already made a vow that he is going to find you. And when he finds you, he's going to kill you. And when you read the account, it all boils down to, he says, listen, I need you to go tell Ahab that you found me. And he said, by the time I go and tell him that here's Elijah, the spirit of God is going to take you and usher you somewhere else. And he said, then I'm going to be killed. Elijah assured the man of God that that's not going to happen. Go and tell Ahab. And that's what we find in 1 Kings 18, where he begins to tell Ahab. And Ahab believes him, and he goes to where he is. And it came to pass that when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? See, sometimes we are considered the troublemakers because we're telling them what they need to do. And many people don't want to know what they need to do to be saved. There's some people that they don't matter. It doesn't matter to them what you tell them because they've already made up their mind how they're going to live their life. He said, you're the one that's causing the trouble. And Elijah says, no. Mm -mm." Verse number 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Baal. You see, what happened was that the children of Israel began to follow a pagan god. They began to worship Baal. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but Baal wasn't something that you needed to worship. And so now we have what I like to call the showdown at Mount Carmel. And if you go back to the account, Elijah told the prophets of Baal, which was 450, I want you fellas to go first. Only thing I'm, I'm asking you to do is make sure that you build you an altar. And then I want you to take a bullet and I want you to cut it on, cut it up, put it on the altar. But whatever you do, don't add no fire. Because that's what this is all about. We're going to pray to the God that answers by fire. That's the God. And so we find them doing that. And so he allows them to take their turn first. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. So they had began to do their ritual. They began to do what they always have done. And expect God, their little G-O-D, to show up. And the Bible says he didn't answer them. And then Elijah begins to mock them. And he says, well, maybe he's on a trip somewhere far away. And he, he said a whole bunch of things. But this is the part I want you to understand. That after he mocked those prophets of Baal who had already had their turn. And they showed out, crying out, cutting themselves with knives, jumping up and down on the altar. And when all the dancing and all the shouting and all the screaming, all the clapping and all the jumping was over with. There was no fire. Remember, this whole contest is about the God that answers by fire. Then it came Elijah's turn to cry unto God to send the fire. Elijah had to convince the children of Israel. He had to convince the nation, if you please, that Jehovah was still alive and in business. You look at verse 24 again in part. It says the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. That's what the church needs. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be set on fire again with the love of Christ. In Revelations 2 and 4, it says in part, you have left or abandoned your first love. 
Nothing will satisfy you. You can try all the things that the world has to offer, but only Jesus, only the love that he offers can satisfy your soul. I don't know about you, but I believe God is working in our midst right now. But he's really doing something that we can't see. Because don't forget, God operates underneath. We can't see what's going on in your heart or your heart or your heart. But I truly believe that God is doing something right now. And if we believe that, allow him in this message to speak to your heart. Not the person behind you, not the person beside you or the person in front of you, but speak to your heart. Because he's doing something. It's only a start, though. What he's doing, he's giving us a little taste, if you please, a sample size of his great love that's worth finding. He's encouraging us that there's more to it. So don't stop. We have to get closer to God. Anybody want to get closer to God? Let let me say to you, and, and I want you to really embrace this. You have as much of God as you want. Now stop and let that sink in for a moment. You have people saying, man, I, I really want God. I want God to be in this. I want God to be. Well, really and truly, you have as much of God as you want. Because if you want more, there is more. I'm saying to you and encouraging you, there's more. So don't stop. We have to get even closer to God, seeing that the day is approaching. The day of the Lord's return. Elijah, on his turn, what did he do? He encouraged the people, come near to me. And the very first order of business that he did was to repair the altar. Somebody say repair. He had to repair the altar of the Lord that was broken down. To repair is to mend a thing that's suffering from damage or fault. The altar of the Lord, which had been built there by some of their ancestors for the offering of sacrifice to the God of Israel, which was frequently done. Somebody say it was frequently done. Frequently done in high places of which was none of the least eminent ones. But being for some time neglected, it needed reparation. Perhaps the altar was broken down either first by the priest of Baal at this time who began to leap up and down and broke it. Or secondly, some Baalites out of their hostility to the true God whose temple they could not reach and therefore showed their hatred in destroying his altars. But in spite of all of this, the Bible says that he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Now, my brothers and sisters, please allow me to suggest to you that the true altar and the real altar is in the heart of God's people. My heart is my altar. Your heart is your altar. And that's where the fire of God burns. God commanded the priest at the tabernacle in Leviticus 6 and 12, and this is his commission to the priest. The fire shall never be burned out, if you please. It it actually says it this way. The fire shall be ever burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. 
The same principle is in the New Testament church, the tabernacle, the body of believers, the ecclesia. The fire must always burn and it must be burning in the morning, in the noon, in the evening, ain't even at night. That's the mission of the church. Even in the midst of a pandemic, that's the mission of the church. That's how we shine forth as light in darkness. Uh, let me ask the question. Is your altar broken down? Elijah went to where God required an altar and the altar was broken down. Everyone could see it was broken down. And the first thing Elijah did was repair it. The altar is the heart. Now, what needs to be repaired in your heart? A broken heart? A hardened heart, an unforgiving heart, a greedy heart, an unthankful heart. You see, those things can hold you back. They can stop the blessings of God from flowing in your life. Those things can hold up <clears throat> what God has for you. God is in the heart business and he's doing something and I truly believe it right now. Newsflash. Your greatest enemy is a lot closer to you than you think. Now, stop looking around. I am not talking about that person next to you or behind you, no. But literally and truly, your greatest enemy is closer to you than you think. The devil is a great enemy, but he's not your greatest enemy. Your greatest enemy is yourself. And your greatest enemy is in your own heart. To thine own self be true because y'all looking at me with that funny kind of tone. There are days when you and I, our heart can reach great things in the Holy Ghost for God. And then there are those days when that same heart of yours can be so contrary to God's way and God's will for your life. That's how desperate and deceitful the heart is. The heart is deceitful, says Jeremiah, above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's your heart that's deceitful. In 1 Samuel 16 and 7, in part it says, man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the, on the heart. Here we go again. The Lord looks on the heart. Psalms 139 and 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my thoughts. And then in Proverbs 23 and 25 in part, it says, my son, give me thine heart. And then in Proverbs 30 and 5 in part, it says, every word of God is pure. The heart is the altar and the altar is the heart. I think I need to say that again. The heart is the altar. That's where God's fire will burn if you allow it. And the altar is the heart. Before God would touch you, 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 or even me, we must all start like Elijah and rebuild the altar of our heart. You know what's needed. You're sitting there, but you know what's needed in the rebuilding of the altar of your heart. I don't know. I can't tell you. But you know this one thing. That God can give you a new heart. Oh, yes, he can. Ezekiel 36 says, and a new heart will I give you. But if we go back to the text and look at verse 30, 
32, it says he starts to dig a trench around the altar. Now, if you go back to the account, the thing that differentiated the altar that was built by Baal and those prophets, the 450 prophets of Baal, they dug a trench. It doesn't say. But what it does say is that they would, what they did do is they took wood and they put a bullock on it and they were commanded not to light a fire. But when we look at Elijah, he dug a trench around the altar. He put the wood in order. I want you to notice the word order. He just didn't pile the wood on top. He put it in such a way that it would ignite. He set the wood in order. Somebody say in order. But you can have order and yet not have fire. Some of you have an order to your prayer, but there's no fire. This is what he said. Take the wood, put it in order. Don't add any fire because the fire is going to come when you pray. So he put it in such a way that it could ignite. Then he cut the bullock in pieces. Elijah repaired the altar that's broken down. He digs around it and then he lays wood in order. Now he cuts the bullock in pieces. I'm telling you, y'all, this man was working. He really was making an effort to repair the altar. Let me ask you a question. How about you? Are you making a maximum effort to repair the altar of your heart? But we find him repairing the altar and he's working and listen to the hours that he puts in. He works from noon to six. He's working feverishly. He's working diligently. Now, let me ask you the question. When's the last time you worked six hours nonstop with no break, no coffee break, no cookie break? No break. You know what I'm saying? There was no break for him. And he was there working feverishly. Elijah repaired the altar that was broken down and all of these measures he did. And when he did those things, then it was time. It was the ultimate time that he was doing this for. That he would challenge the prophets of Baal to a showdown. I want you to go back in your mind. One of the things that he did that they didn't do, he said, I'm going to dig this trench. And when I dig it, I want you to fill it up. And they did. He said, I want you to pour water on it. He told them to do that three times. And not not just on the trench, around the trench, because that's where the water was going to overflow. But he wanted that to be poured on the offering. So three times he had them douse the offering, which was the bullock, with water. Why would he do that? Because he was challenging and said, whoever is the God that answers by fire, that's the God. And maybe you didn't know, but God, as far as little G-O-D, they counted Baal to be the God. And Baal was the God of the sky. And so they believed that because what Elijah spoke and the famine took place, the drought took place, they said that was Baal. Because Baal was mad at them for not getting Elijah. But that was quite the contrary. It was Jehovah God that shut up the windows of heaven. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. But we go back and we find this. So he says, now I want to prove to you the God that I serve. 
So I want you to drench this. I want you to soak it. I want you to get to the place where it is dripping wet. And when it's all said and done, when the water is come, he soaks it with water, filling the very trenches to the brim. And what does the water speak of? It speaks of the word. The water speaks of the separation, the word of separation. That's what separates us from the world is the word of God that we walk in on a daily basis. The water separated Elijah's altar from the prophets of Baal. Because remember, they didn't do what he did. He wanted to make sure that they understood the God that answers by fire. This is what my God's going to be able to do. He's going to be able to take a soap-drenched offering and still light it ablaze. In Ephesians 5 and 25 and 26, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. You see, he pours the water upon the sacrifice. What does he do with the sacrifice? He sanctifies and cleanses it with the word. Mm -hmm. Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and 3, now ye are cleansed through the word which I have spoken unto you. The water goes over us. Now we're clean. You go to Psalms 119 and 9. It says, when shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereon to thy word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, again, he prepared this altar. He put the work in. And when he put the work in, he was expecting God to do something. And when he did that, I, I, I like to go back. And I want you to look real quickly, and I'm almost done. When you go back into it, right where the defining moment is, where he begins to show and proves what his God is going to do, it's his turn to pray. And don't forget the title of this message is, First Repair the Altar, Then God Will Send the Fire. So he did all of what he was supposed to do. And now he steps up and it came to pass of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, listen to what he said. O God of Abraham, Isaac and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. How many things have God told you to do? but you're still not doing it. You can't expect the results without putting in the work. He put in the work. Now he steps and he begins to call on God. And this is what happens. He says, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou has turned their heart back again. I don't know what the time was in that prayer, but I guarantee you it was a short prayer. I guarantee you it wasn't what the prophets of Baal did, the 450 and then the 400 prophets of Grove did, all of the antics that they did. All he did was speak into the atmosphere in his prayer. And this is what the Bible said the results were. And the fire of the Lord fell. I told you, if you repair the altar, God will send the fire. And it consumed the burnt sacrifice 
that was drenched with water and the wood that was drenched with water and the stones that was drenched with water and the dust that was drenched with water. And then he turns around and licks up the water. And when the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord. Now, I, I want you to know, when he, anytime you see uh, italics, that means those were words that were added. So let me read it in its original form with the, without the words that were italics. And when the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, the Lord, the God, the Lord, he, the God. I'm telling you, on that day, they realized who God was. They realized that as they were crying out to God, as all of those things were going on that Elijah had done, it was done with purpose in mind. And as I'm about to close, I want you to know that after Elijah did all of those things, he didn't build a new altar. And I need y'all to get this. But he repaired the old altar. He didn't build a new altar. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Well, you ask yourself, how, how does this happen? How does the altar become in disrepair? Well, he had to take the vines and the weeds and, and cut all of that away and the thorns. And then he had to take it all away. And then when he did that, it showed a place where it had been active and it had been used in the past for the worship of the one true God. And when the Holy Ghost that you and I have, and if you don't have it, today is the day. I'm telling you, today is the day to receive what God has for you. When the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit sees an altar broken down, covered with weeds and vines, which is our heart, that's what he sees. Because we got so many things that we put in front of him. So many things that we're involved in that don't have nothing to do with God. So when he sees our heart, perhaps that's what he sees. And you ask yourself, how does it get that way? Neglect. Neglect is when you don't do anything. It's by being neglected, out of use. You know, I, I, I've got athletes in this ministry. God didn't give you your knees for you to go jump and do all the things that athletes do. He really gave you your knees so you can bend them before him, humble yourself before him. He didn't give us all of the ability to cry out to him to be neglected and not used. And that's what breaks it down. That's what breaks the altar of your heart down because you don't have a relationship when it comes to prayer. I said it once, but it's worth reiterating. Lord, have mercy if the only time you pray is when we get on the prayer line. That, if that's the only source of prayer that you have in a week, one week makes one person without prayer for a week, you're weak. You're weak. We find him here searching our hearts. And when he searches the heart, what is he seeing on the heart of our altar? Is it the weeds? Is it the vines? Is it neglect? Is it us not using it? Before the fire will burn again on our hearts, before fire would burn on it again, this is the altar now, the altar that Elijah was commissioned to repair. 
before fire could fall on that altar, it had to be repaired. I said, we've got to do it. If you repair the altar, God will sit in the fire. I'm challenging somebody right here, right now. Let it begin with you. If you say, well, man, we, we, we used to do this and we used to do that, and the church used to be on fire. Well, stop. Where are you in the equation? Where are you when it comes to your heart being purged of everything that's not like God? If you repair the altar, God will send the fire. After I repair the altar, then the next step is the sacrifice, which is you providing yourself a living sacrifice. It's you providing yourself, not the person beside you, not the person next to you, behind you, or even me. It's you providing yourself a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Watch this. Wait for it now. It's just your reasonable service. Stop acting like it's something phenomenal that you're doing. You have to provide yourself as the sacrifice. Then God will send the fire as he looks down and sees the sacrifice on the altar. <laughs> you know the problem with the living sacrifice? It can get up. <laughs> it can get up and decide, I don't want to be that sacrifice. I don't want to do all that it takes to live holy. So God will send the fire when he sees the sacrifice on the altar. Then God will send that fire as he looks down. And sees that offering. The trouble of many is they say, send the fire. Then the Lord says, where do I send it? (laughs) You see, he wants to send it, but it's all predicated on number one, is the altar repaired? Number two, is there a sacrifice on the altar? So can you imagine that conversation? Lord, send the fire. Lord, send the fire. And the Lord said, well, where do I send it? But you say, no, just send it. God sends the fire on the sacrifice when you lay yourself on the altar. When you lay yourself on the altar, God will send the fire. And I promise you, if you do that, you repair the altar, you put yourself on that altar as a sacrifice. Lord, here I am, heart, mind, body, and soul. Here I am, Lord, whatever you need me to do. If you put yourself on that altar, God will send the fire on your sacrifice. When you lay yourself out before him, God will send the fire and mighty works will begin to be accomplished in your life for the glory of God. I said for the glory of God. I'm saying to you, there are people right now that you know of, and I'll say this in my closing. God gives us life, health, and strength, and it is a shame that we don't capitalize on it. I'm using this as a segue in my closing. Today is my spiritual daughter's 50th birthday, and she has now understood her purpose in living for God. And one of the things that Dr. Veronica Outlaw has understood that it called for a sacrifice, and she was willing now After all of these years, I'm going to be that sacrifice. And whatever you need me to do, I'm willing to do it. Brothers and sisters, 
guests and or visitors, those in social media, repair the altar and God will send the sacrifice. I don't like making personal references of names because you know how sometimes that green-eyed monster can raise up and he never said my name over the pulpit. It was applicable. It was applicable because again, there was a rebuilding of an altar in her life, the altar of her heart. And then there was a sacrifice put on it, which was herself. And she's making sacrifices now and watching God move in her life like no other time. I'm saying to you all, if you would just repair the altar, remember, my altar is my heart. Your altar is your heart. And the condition of your heart, you need to seek God and he'll show you. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. With every head bowed and all eyes closed, Father, this may have not been that message that will cause people to shout, to leap, and to jump. But what you designed it to do was to bring us to a place where we are conscious of the time that we're living in, that people are dying on a daily basis, and that, Lord, they need to hear a message of hope. Help us, Lord Jesus, to offer them a word in this week that we can go back and literally regurgitate the very things that we heard on today and make it applicable to where they are in their life. Yes, sir, have you checked the altar of your heart? Ma'am, does it need to be repaired? And so, do it. Are you willing to sacrifice, make your body a living sacrifice for God. Father, we thank you and we praise you again for what you've done and what you're going to do. If there's anybody here today, God is knocking on the door of your heart. Please, sir, please, ma'am, come. Please be willing to say, Lord, here I am, just as I am. God bless you. Thank you, Father. I gotta give you thanks. Because, Lord, everything that you have done, I didn't look at it now. I thank you, Lord, for the release of every chain. Everywhere I go, God, I got to give you praise because you have heard my cry. We have been smothered by the grace of God, and it has brought us joy. Therefore, Lord, we was able to make a joyful noise in this city. We have learned to forgive, and with that in mind, God, I just can't stop praising you. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise. Amen.